Hi, I'm your host, Brittany Spence, and this is In the Face of Illness. We are a podcast committed to cultivating a greater understanding of the many resources available for families facing childhood illness, because we believe this is a vital topic of conversation, not only for families in the throes of the fight, but for everyone. Ultimately, we are here to offer hope in the face of illness. Christine and Casey Shull live in Harrison, Tennessee, just outside of Chattanooga, and have been married for five years. In 2022, they grew their family by welcoming their first daughter, Sunshine, who was born at 25 weeks gestation, weighing one pound, 12 ounces. Sunny stayed in the NICU at Children's Hospital at Erlinger for the first 86 days of her life, while she received excellent care from Erlinger specialists and wild doctors and nurses alike with her progress. She was released from the hospital on supplemental oxygen on Easter weekend and got to come home to finally meet her grandparents and older brother, Elijah. She continues to see Erlinger specialists at the Kennedy Outpatient Center to monitor her bronchopulmonary dysplasia and her development. Today, she's a thriving toddler who loves stirring up trouble with her little brother and partner in crime, Buckley, who was born 11 months after her dramatic entrance into the world. We are glad to have you on, Christine. Um, thank you for joining us today. Uh, we also have Sunny here with us as well. So if our audience hears Sunny in the background, that's just her making sure we know she's here and doing well. So let's just get started. Why don't you tell us a little bit um, about your medical journey with Sunny, um, obviously being born at 25 weeks um, is is quite early. So, did you have Sunny is your first? Yes. So, tell me about that. Did you start having preterm? You know, things that were making you think, "Oh goodness, she might come early." It had never really entered my radar because I just I just trust that things are going to go the way they're supposed to go in life. Um, but. It was, yeah, it was my father-in-law's birthday dinner and us as an entire family, we were all out to dinner and I just noticed my back was hurting like so much worse than usual, but I just, I kind of just chalked it up to being pregnant and being uncomfortable because she was not an easy pregnancy to say the least. Okay. But yeah, as it turns out, I, it just steadily got worse. And then I started having contractions and they started coming often enough that I was like, oh no. This, oh I my know goodness! Like, okay, okay. So I waited it out all night and waited till uh, nine a.m. in the morning and called my doctor and was like, "I think something fishy is happening." Um, mm. And we went, we went straight to a different hospital. We didn't start at Erlanger. Um, they kept me most of the day there, and they confirmed like this could be early labor. Okay. Um, monitored my contractions, but then they sent me home at the end of the day. And they were like, well, if your water breaks, we know it's serious, but I, I went home thinking this isn't going to be a very big deal. Mm. And I had already been seeing the high risk doctor because I've had a history of blood clots. So I was just seeing them the whole pregnancy anyways. Okay. And I had an appointment coming up with them. Like, I think it was the next day. And so they were like, we'll just keep that appointment and they'll let you know what to do. Um, but then I went home and that night, so it started on Monday and then Tuesday night, my water broke at home and I was still so unconvinced that it wasn't a big deal that I drove myself back to the hospital. Wow. Okay. And was like, Hey, me yeah. again. 
heard I was supposed to come back if the water breaks. I think it did that. Um, but then they checked it and they said it hadn't. So they sent me home. Oh my goodness. Okay. Spoiler alert. It had. Yeah. Uh, and I drove home <laughs> at like two in the morning like that. And then I went to my high risk doctor the next day and they were about two seconds into the ultrasound and they were like, you got to go. Wow. Sent me straight to Erlanger and said that I would be there until I had her. Okay. Okay. And how long was that? So the whole labor process was 72 hours. Okay. Once I was at Erlanger, it was all about just trying to keep me from having her as long as they could. Yeah. Uh, So I, and then also putting in like safety measures just in case she did come early. So like I was on the magnesium drip just to protect her brain in case she came early, which obviously she did. Did she also get any steroid shots or anything to help with her lungs? I'm almost positive. Yes. Okay. Okay. The actual birth honestly became so traumatic that I think my brain sort of fuzzed out a lot of the, the, the details, but okay. I know I was doing a lot and they were doing a lot to me to keep her in me, but also for what was about to happen. So she's born at 25 weeks, right? One pound, 12 ounces. So Right away, I mean, you know, at the point that it's like, we can't stop labor, she's coming. Yeah. You know, had they kind of given you the conversation of, you know, this is probably going to be a long stay in the NICU? I mean, were you aware of kind of some of those things? So they had um, one of the NICU doctors came by and talked to me. And I actually like, I looked back in my medical records to see, like, remind myself of some of the details that are a little fuzzier. Yeah. And that doctor put in notes of clearly how upset I was at the time, because it says very specifically, I did not talk to the mother about mortality or survival rates or anything like that because she didn't want to know. Wow. Yeah. Just very me. Um, But they did talk to me about all the complications that could occur. Okay. So I knew it wasn't great. Yeah. But was kind of just trying to survive and be as optimistic as I could but yeah. like they wait until there's like an entire NICU team in the room with me so there's so many people right and they wait to tell me to push until that team is entirely ready because when right. she came she came in seconds wow so it was one push she's out I didn't even know it because there's no cry there's nothing like that wow um, my mom was in the room, which wasn't really a thing we planned. And I remember her saying, if you lean up, you might be able to see her. And like the doctor kind of lifted her as much as she could. And I just, oh, she was so little. She looked like a little, a little baked potato is what we kept calling her. Cause she's just wow. the size of a potato. Wow. Mm. Yeah. And then immediately gets handed off to the NICU team after my husband does get to cut the cord. And I do, I remember thinking that's taking so long. It felt like the seconds were going so long. And I knew that she was like mm-hmm. in a dire situation. And I just wanted to be like, please don't let him do it. Just yeah, yeah. Just take care of it. Uh, so they take her to the NICU, obviously have to then work on you, make sure that you're okay. And then how long till you got to see her in the NICU? It wasn't until the next day, but 
So they work on, they get her stabilized in the room. Okay. With me. So I have to hear all that. And then at the same time, they were telling me um, I had to go off to surgery right away because I couldn't deliver the placenta. Mm. So I essentially get wheeled off right after her. And then I wake up from surgery. And I like, I remember when they were telling me there was a moment where I felt like I was kind of out of myself. And I was like, oh, this is shock because Mm -hmm. like I, this is a lot, this is a lot going on in the room right now. Yeah. So you, in essence, delivered vaginally and then still had to have a C-section? Yeah, it was a DNC afterwards. To oh, my goodness. Okay. Get rid of everything else. Oh, goodness. Okay. Yeah. I remember very specifically waking up in the recovery room, and that's when the weight of everything hit me. Right. And I think about that poor nurse that was with me all the time because, like, she's just asking regular, like, oh, how are you feeling questions? Yeah, and right. I just shattered and she was like can I please go get your husband and I remember telling her no like let me cry I want to be alone (laughs) Uh, I think about that poor girl so many times because she asked me three times like can I please go get your husband (laughs) finally on the last time I caved like yes please (laughs) she's probably dealt with enough to know you know I mean through the years but um I just recently actually uh, at our 5K, one of forest nurses ran through the finish line and stopped me and said, hey, I'm so-and-so, and I was one of forest NICU nurses at the first hospital he was at um, before he was transferred to the children's hospital. And I, too, was kind of like, gosh, thank you so much. And then I kind of wanted to go back and be like, was I night? Like, how how was I? Because... <laughs> Obviously, that whole night was such a blur, you know, that. um, So anyways, I I totally get that. I mean, you can't be responsible for what you say or do after something so traumatic like what you've gone through. Um, And, you know, I'm sure there was lots of grace given to that. Yeah. And like I do, I remember definitely when I get wheeled into my little mother and baby room or just mother room, that nurse who was on that night. You know, she offered, you know, Sonny's in the NICU. Do you want to go see her? And I remember saying, I am not emotionally ready for that yet. I can't. Yeah. I can't do that. And she like stopped on a dime and turned to me and was like, and that's perfectly okay. And don't let anybody tell you that like your feelings are too much right now. And I just as much think about her and like how much I needed to hear that in the moment. I felt so bad that I like couldn't go see her when I know I could, but yeah. Yeah. It was what just, a beautiful thing. Yeah. yeah. What a beautiful thing that nurse did for you. Um, so you're in the mother's room, obviously without Sunny, which is so hard in itself because all the other rooms around you have mothers and babies. Um, right. And are you getting kind of some updates on Sunny? You know, is your husband able to go in the NICU or your mother or any of that stuff? So we had her under COVID restrictions. Oh, so heavens. okay. It was a whole nother level. So the almost almost her entire time there, it could only be me or my husband to visit her. And then we had to go one at a time. Mm. We couldn't go stand there together. Except for the very first time we went and saw her that next morning, the nurse rolled us both and just kind of walked through. This is what you do. You wash your hands here. She's back here. I'm sure. 
I'm positive a doctor came by and was giving me updates because there were just so many doctors in and out of the room. Right. And so, okay, so getting updates and is she on a ventilator? What is she needing right then? Yes. So they intubated her in the room with me. Okay. So I, I heard all that. She's on a ventilator. They did a bunch of like scans and things like that pretty quickly. So I feel like by day one, we knew kind of how she was being assessed. Like she had a grade one, a brain bleed, um, which they assured me, I think even before I gave birth, they were like, this is just, it's going to be a thing. There's almost no way she's not going to have some kind of brain bleed. We're just going to see how bad it is and manage from there. Uh, She also had a PDA, a little hole in her heart that, it was another thing that they just assured me this would have closed up. She just mm-hmm. didn't have time in the womb. So like it, it right. kind of had to be open and we're just going right. to hope for the best and try to treat it. Um, but it was a lot of things like that where it was like everything that she had wrong with her, they knew it wasn't going to be any other way. Mm-hmm. You know okay. what I mean? Yeah. So I think the other thing was like respiratory distress syndrome, just because she didn't have lungs big enough to breathe. And she had an infection when she was born that was passed from me because I had, um, by the time I delivered, I had chorioamnionitis. I hope I say it right. I don't know. Um, So they just kind of treated her with a general antibiotic set to clear out anything like that. And how long did you end up having to be in the hospital? I uh, didn't stay that long. I feel like it was only... Maybe two more days after I gave birth. Not a detail I'm super familiar with because I was there. I ended up being there every day. So, yeah. Okay. Because you delivered what's different about Erlinger than is at um, Le Bonner is that you actually delivered at Erlinger. So, yes. Yeah. Le Bonner doesn't do deliveries. And so it's just a, a level one children's hospital. So, really, you know, you were there. And then when she was in the NICU, you know, when we say you were discharged, you still obviously were there the whole yeah. time, but you were discharged from the care. Um, yes. And so, um, you know, I've, I've heard from so many, you know, micro preemies, preemies, families that it's just such a roller coaster. You know, you have a one step forward, two steps back, you know, and it's yes. just kind of that again and again and again and again. And, you know, you just almost can't feel like you can get your feet even underneath you before something else comes up or something else needs to be done. Um, and to top that, how far do y'all live from the children's hospital? We live uh, 30 minutes away. Okay. Okay. So um, there is like a Ronald McDonald house next door and we did uh, qualify for it. So we, I could have stayed there. But we also have our stepson and we have dogs and we have a small chicken farm here. So it just, okay. it honestly might have made things a little more difficult. So, okay. So, so most nights y'all came home, got to kind of sleep in your own bed and then would go back. Right. Um, and so what sleep were as much as possible? Cause I'm also pumping around the clock as if she were here. Yes. Yes. And then cleaning and sanitizing and sterilizing everything as much as possible. Yeah. So tell me what some of her biggest obstacles were to overcome. I feel like breathing is what it came down to so much. 
not having her little apnea spells and just making sure that we could get her lungs strong enough. And like, even today, I mean, if you look at her, you'd never know she was preemie. You'd never know that she had any health problems. And her pulmonologist has to remind me every appointment, like, remember, it's the inside we're concerned about. Like, even if she looks fine on the outside, we still have to remember her lungs are not, you know, a perfect little baby's lungs. Other than that, I mean, it's kind of just these Nikki rules that you sort of hammer into your head and go by like she has to start feeding on her own, which we were such a long way from because she was on a feeding tube until like the last two weeks she was there, probably. Okay. Sounds right. Would she tolerate your milk? Was she tolerating it just through the feeding tube? She tolerated it great for two months. Okay. And then they had kind of, the nurses had kind of told me all along, like we keep seeing specks of blood in her diaper. We're, it's not enough that we're concerned about it, but it, it could be an allergy to something you're drinking and is in the milk. And then I remember it because it was the it was one week exactly after my birthday. And because my birthday hit during this like not so great time, we went out and we went hard on desserts. Like <laughs> it was it was a treat yourself moment. And I remember the nurse coming back and being like, well, did you have like a lot of dairy? <laughs> and was, Girl, yes. <laughs> I had cheesecake and milkshake uh-huh. and cake. Like, yes, I did. And I was there when we had to change the diaper and it was it was just so much blood I felt so bad for her that of course scared the doctor so much that they restrict her feeds just completely for a while so the next few visits after that were not great because she was just hungry and cranky Mm, okay uh so we did almost a whole year of the hypoallergenic formula after that oh wow okay okay and we had to be very delicate with her stomach when we started introducing actual foods to her. Okay. And how's she doing today with foods? Oh my God. She, she's a monster. She, there's, <laughs> I almost feel like it's because she had the feeding tube and then she had the hypoallergenic formula, which doesn't smell great. So I can't imagine it tastes very good, but she will eat anything. Wow. My parents laugh about it. Like she'll eat asparagus, she'll eat broccoli, just doesn't bat an eye. Wow. That's well, amazing. Feeding her salad. Yeah. And she eats it like it's grapes. And she doesn't have any oral aversions either. None. That is amazing. Cause so often we still see a gastroenterologist and he like comments on that every time. Yeah. He's like, I'm not even doing anything for her at this point. She's just doing it all herself. Yeah. Cause so many preemies, you know, who have been intubated for so long, you know, and had the poking and prodding and all that stuff have really, they really struggle with the oral aversion kind of stuff and may, you know, end up needing a feeding tube long term and, um, you know, it's quite a battle to get preemies to end up often enjoying food. So that's definitely yeah. such a gift. It's also been super spicy, like from the beginning. So I, one of the things I heard in the NICU, like from parents and from nurses all the time was you should like, you should keep a journal. You should write all this stuff down because you're going to want to know it later. And I like, I kick myself today for not listening to that. Cause I was like, ha I never want to remember this again. Thanks. Yeah. But she, would pull out everything that was keeping her alive. She pulled out so many feeding tubes. Mm. She pulled out every IV she was given. I think the longest one lasted 72 hours. Uh, So like in the end, on the day that they pulled her 
feeding tube for real. We had just talked to the doctor and they weren't going to do it. And like minutes after we have that conversation, we're having it by her bed. I swear. It's like she heard it and ripped out the feeding tube herself. Mm, she was done. And then took a bottle that day. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Um, okay. At what point did you also, because Buckley's only 11 months younger. So were you in the NICU when you figured out? No, I had, uh, we had just brought her home. Okay. Wow. I think it was three weeks of her being home is when I found out. Wow. If I remember right, it's something really close to that. Okay. Okay. Um, and was Buckley, did Buckley end up being full term? Were y'all able to make it? Yes. Wow. Yes. Okay. Okay. A separate little miracle. Yeah. He he made it to 37 weeks. Wow. What a gift. Okay. Right at full term. And then he came. Yeah. That's amazing. Their personalities are so different, but they're like best friends. That's amazing. Um, What's advice that you would give some families who maybe are starting to, you know, be down this same road, who have, who have gone into preterm labor, you know, are having a, a preemie. What's some advice that you would give to families? You said one that you really wish you had journaled and written it down. I do. And I feel like at the time it was kind of a method of self-preservation because I feel like I was kind of isolating and detaching myself from everything that was happening as much as I could because I felt like at the hospital I needed to be strong for her. At home I needed to be strong for my husband, but I also very much wanted to just crumble to pieces. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, I mean, that's kind of my advice is like, let yourself crumble to pieces when you need to. Like no one is expecting you to be this rock that won't break. Like my car kind of became my safe space. So I was driving the 30 minutes there and 30 minutes back every day. And just any other trip, as soon as I got in the car, it was just tears every day Mm -hmm. and then I'd pull up to the hospital and I'd be like all right here we go yeah yeah pull it it together and like no one's asking that of you and no one's expecting that of you right and right I don't think it did the best things for my psyche while I was going through it so not isolating yourself as much as possible is probably another thing because I started to feel like it's sometimes it's hard to tell people your sad stories Mm -hmm. And like upsetting stories because I mean, no one can fix it. It just has to happen. And you sort of see that register on their face. And I don't like making people upset. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I would just like, I'd keep so much of it to myself, or I'd only share her little triumphs and successes. So her bad days, I was kind of just taking all of that myself. Okay. And wish you had shared a little, I mean, whether it be with family or friends or neighbors or, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, that's not to say that my family wasn't there to help me. They were doing literally anything they could think of. My mom was just like, I'm going to feed her every day. This is like, I know we can't do much, but I know she's got to eat and she shouldn't have to think about it. So like ever so thankful for things like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I I kind of I'm taking accountability a little bit and that it was on me and I didn't right open up. More. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and people can only be let in if we let them in, you know, and and, you know, we often say it's hard for a family that's in 
trauma, you know, in the thick of it to even know what they need. And so often, you know, we've even done a podcast on like, just do things, you know, whether that is like your mom did making food because you have to eat or cleaning the house or mowing the lawn, because unfortunately life continues, even when you feel like your life has stopped and you are, you know, your only life is driving from home to the hospital and back and your life is revolving around how is Sonny doing. Um, but the rest of the world continues to go on. Bills happen. The grass keeps growing. You know, things are breaking all around. You know, the car needs gas and you need food and all those things. And so if people can see that those are things that are needed, it is a big help. Um, you know, but we also have to say we got to let people in and it's a gift to others. I think that's one thing, too, that I've learned in the 16 years is that it is a gift to others to let them help you because it's a terrible feeling to feel helpless. And so if you you know, if people let you in and you're able to help them, you know, then you also reap the benefits of that too. You know, helping someone gives you also some, okay, I'm doing something. It may just be picking up groceries or picking up snacks or mowing the lawn or whatever it is, but that's also a gift to you as well. Um, is there anything that you wish you would have known? Um, you know, obviously you said, I, I do think there's something you mentioned about being optimistic. I think that is huge. I think having a really positive, like we're going to, we're going to get through this. Sonny's going to get through this. I do think that that is um, something that's really needed. And I loved hearing you say that, um, you know, but looking back on the 86 days, is there anything that you wish you had known that you think, you know, might've helped in any way? I don't know that anything would have been different with Sunny. We were sort of tackling a whole separate challenge at home um, because my, my husband owns his own company. He's a like a house painter and a business painter. And he had taken on two new business partners like in the year where I was pregnant with Sunny or in the six months I was pregnant with Sunny. And uh, they wanted him pretty immediately to go out of state mm. and paint something. And he didn't feel right about it from the start. But then our, her doctor also said like, I wouldn't be more than 30 minutes away from this hospital at any given time. Mm. And I just, I don't, I kind of expected everyone to just kind of have this unspoken compassion and they really didn't. So it ended up being, uh, they cut my husband out of the company mm. and he lost his job. So we, we were at home with no income all of a sudden and a baby in the hospital. Mm -hmm. So it was sort of a, a catastrophic collapse of our family. And like that is where you guys stepped in in such a big way that I don't know if you knew at the time. But yeah, we had no idea how we were going to pay any bills or buy anything without just like me asking my family for everything. And I didn't, I didn't want to be in that position, mm -hmm. honestly. And it like everything felt so bad already that it was nice to have some <laughs> financial help and like someone who actually cared. Because it also just hurt that these people that, yeah, you know, my husband built a business with kind of cared so little in 
what felt like such an obvious moment of need. Right. So, yeah, I don't know if it would have changed anything about her because I just got so wrapped up in her everyday care and making sure I was there and almost to a toxic point because like I started setting these imaginary rules with myself. Like if I'm not there by 11 AM, something's going to go wrong. So I have to be there because she's going to know. And it like, it would all stem from, you know, two instances where I showed up at 2 PM and something had gone horribly wrong that day. It was again, we're always on this roller coaster. So there was always going to be bad days, but they just like, happened to coincide on days where I showed up a little later. So that obviously that has to be a trend. So I have to get there earlier. And I started making these sort of limitations on myself that I I shouldn't have done and I didn't need and probably had nothing to do with how she was that day. But yeah, you couldn't have convinced me that that wasn't true in the moment. And I had a similar, I mean, I put, I put all these, you know, different, things that I needed to be able to do in the times. And, you know, I have to, I have to pump by this time. I can't be later. And I, you know, I have to call in the middle of the night when I wake up to pump and I got to get up in the morning and I have to immediately call. And if I don't call and, you know, and even putting some of those on the nurses, like I had to tell the nurses that when I would call in the night or I would call the next morning and ask how his night was, if they're like, oh my goodness, he was up all night and he was happy. And then I'd be like, no, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. He was asleep. Because when I tucked him in for bed, I need to think in my head that he slept until I came back because I don't want to miss anything and I don't want him to miss me. And so, like, I don't want y'all to tell me, you know, and that wasn't fair to them either, that they couldn't tell me, you know, that they'd had a fun, good night with him. But I was like, this mama needs to think that I'm not missing anything, you know, because if he was home and he was waking up in the night, it would be me. I mean, it'd be me going in there and seeing him and comforting him and, you know, seeing him kick his legs or do whatever. And so I think we all feel that because there's such a lack of control in every aspect. Um, And I think especially when it's your first and you haven't experienced that in all honesty, motherhood, there's so much lack of control, whether they're healthy or not healthy. But but knowing Sunny was your first and Forrest was my first, there was even more so of this expectations that we had of what motherhood would be and what those first months would be. And all that got blown to pieces by them being born the way that they're born. And so all of a sudden you have to change everything you thought motherhood would be, you know, to be, okay, well, what does he or she need me to be? Um, And that's hard. It's very hard to do and it takes time. And, um, you know, I really hit a breaking point at about two weeks of where I was like, I can't stay on this. I can't keep staying on what I'm staying on. I can't, I can't stay until midnight and try to be back by 6am. You know, one, my, I'm not going to do well health wise, my pumping, all that stuff. I've got to get sleep, you know, and so getting into this, what is it actually going to look like? This is not a sprint. This is a marathon. And so I think that's advice I give to parents too, of obviously we want to be there as much as possible. Um, but it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And for you and your family and your marriage and all those things to be okay, you've got to figure out how can you make this work? Um, and that's always hard. It's really hard. Cause obviously we would choose to be by that sick child every moment of every day. Um, but as we've said before, the world keeps going. And so we got to figure out how to make that work. Okay. So you talked just a little bit. So the fund, 
how did you hear about the Four Spence Fund? Was it from a social worker? Yeah, everyone in the NICU gets a social worker. I assume that's the same in all hospitals. Again, I don't really know. Yeah. But yes, our social worker, worker Catherine, love her to pieces. Uh, She came in the first day and kind of was an immediate just counselor to me, first and foremost, because obviously not the best day. But then she brought this up pretty quickly and said, I just want you to know. I'm pretty sure she's in this for the long run. And there is an organization that can help out families like yours. So, I mean, even then we didn't know we like, we didn't know my husband was about to lose his job. We just thought I'll take any help. I can, any help I can get because it's not a great space to be, but yeah, she told us about it. So Buckley, when he was born, he also ended up in the NICU for a little bit. So she was my social worker again. Wow. For him. And that was such a different experience. Like she came in the room and I was like, Catherine. (laughs) And we started just showing pictures of Sunny and everything. And I don't know. It was it's so much more comfortable the second time around, Mm -hmm. even when he also ended up in not the best place. Like health-wise, I knew he was in the best place geographically and like care-wise. And I don't think they've ever talked to a parent that was so casual when they were like, okay, so he's got to go to the NICU. I was like, thank goodness. (laughs) Okay. I'm glad we're here. Those are my people. And how long did Buckley stay in the NICU? He was only there six days. He just. Okay. Need a little support. the easiest time breathing. Yeah. At first. And they were worried about him. Man, girl, our stories are very similar. My, my second was born a year and 15 days after my first. So just like six weeks. And he too had to go in the NICU for seven days. Um, and at first I was completely like, what? You know, no, no, no. And the whole NICU, because it was at a um, different hospital, um, the whole NICU, literally, they also were kind of freaked out like, what's wrong? Is it forced? What happened? You know, is he septic again? And once I went down there and saw him, I was like, he's not forced. Now let him nurse on me. Like, come on, give him to me. We're okay. But they still kept him for seven days and it was still hard. I mean, I would never tell anyone that like, that wasn't hard. That wasn't exhausting. You know, I wanted him to be with me. So to be discharged from a hospital again with no baby is terrible. I mean, to have that two times in a row. um, But as you said, it was, it was such a different experience than what we had gone through where Forrest was so touch and go the whole two months um, where we knew with, for, with Austin, it was a little bit different. Um, so the fund was able to help y'all financially. And then I think you also said just having some, you know, knowing that there was someone out there that cared and, you know, had a similar story and, um, you know, it, and did that. Tell me how your family's doing today. I mean, I've gotten the privilege and honor of getting to see Sunny and seeing her eat and seeing her play and put on funny glasses. And but tell our listeners how Sunny and Buckley and how your family's doing today. We're, we're amazing. Like she has such a zest for life. It's so cute. She's just completely fearless. Uh, she has like this little climbing set at home that she's always sitting up on the top of. At one point fairly early on because she's so just like reckless and wild. She has such like little boy aggressive energy. My husband turned to me at one point and was like, what if she's like one of those babies that just can't feel pain? What if that's why she's so crazy? I'm like, I don't think that's it. 
I think she's just she started yeah. off a little a little slow and now that she's like got her feet on the ground she just wants to go as hard as she can all the time. Well, and she experienced honestly, I mean you think about having a tube down her throat, how many times she had to have blood drawn, how much she had to have IVs. I mean, she experienced so much in those first three months of her life that she probably does have a much higher pain threshold than the average baby toddler. Um, And so, you know, she gets a bump or falls down and she's like, come on now, friends. I I went through so much more in the NICU. I got this. Um, So she probably really does after everything she went through, you know, those 86 days. Um, Well, thank you for sharing your story with us. And thank you for being open and honest of just the struggles and the difficulties and, um, and also the joys of, you know, how well Sonny's doing. And it, it was great to, Honestly, I loved having her, you know, peek in and out of the frame our whole entire um, podcast. So I'm so glad. Thank you for sharing her with us. And um, thank you for being so open and honest with your story. I know it'll be a gift to other moms who are experiencing similar things. I hope so very much. So thank you for the opportunity. And thank you guys for what you've done for our family. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. We hope that this podcast is a resource for you and a source of support. Whether you are facing illness in your own family or want to walk beside other families dealing with childhood illness, we want the stories, wisdom, and knowledge shared to give you hope. Episodes will be released bi-weekly, so be sure to subscribe today.